Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Yeah, I, I mean, I've known Gus for 20 years, I think. Uh, and what's cool about Gus is he's got a way about him that's inclusive. And by that, I mean whether it's the players, the fellow coaches, the scouts, he's all in. And he's trying to help you make your job better. I mean, we were in, um, I think it was February meetings in our draft room with the scouts. And he came in with mask on, but 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 all gregarious. And, and he said, I need two minutes. And two minutes became two hours. We sat in there and picked his brain for two hours when he just came in to kind of just say, hey, you guys got anything for me? Can I help you? Two hours later, it was like, oh, my God, he's got to get to a meeting. Um, and that happens every day with Gus. Uh, just just a very outgoing, infectious guy that wants to he's one of those people that connects other people, if that makes any sense. And I think that's an awesome attribute for a coordinator. That was the voice of Raiders General General, General Manager Mike Mayock this afternoon from uh, the Raiders practice facility over in Henderson. He was talking about Gus Bradley, the Raiders' new defensive coordinator. Welcome to uh, In the Huddle, Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. on a Thursday. In the Huddle brought to you by Tequila Embajador. I'm Vinny Bonsignor, the host of the show. I also cover the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Uh, give a shout-out uh, to, to, to all that. And that was Mike Mack, and he was talking about Gus Bradley, and I've been kind of pounding the table on this for a while now, here on the show and in my written work uh, with the Las Vegas Review-Journal and uh, you know on Twitter and interacting with, with readers and, and fans. I think the Gus Bradley influence uh, on the Raiders right now is um, it's it's pertinent big time pertinent we saw it in free agency what was the first big signing that the Raiders made uh, Yannick Ngakwe I know no brainer the Raiders needed um, pass rush absolutely had to have pass rush uh, part of his def- part of any good defense let's face it is predicated on getting pressure on the quarterback no brainer you say and I agree with you but it's also Yannick Ngagwe who has a history with Gus Bradley. So Gus Bradley, understanding the type of player that Yannick Ngagwe is, Yannick Ngagwe, understanding the type of coach that Gus Bradley is, that's influence. Gus Bradley, you know, uh, making it clear to John Gruden and to Mike Mayock, this is a player that we have to have in here. This is the priority. Uh, this is our first big signing um, this is who it needs to be. And if you look at the rest of free agency on the defensive side of the ball, Gus Bradley's the new defensive coordinator. He's going to be, I, I'm not saying calling the shots uh, because there's, and I'm writing about this today. It's going to be a story uh, uh, in the Las Vegas Review Journal on Sunday. Every building has the ultimate decision maker, but all the best decision makers base their decision, whether it's the head coach, the general manager, on an all-inclusive process that allows for voices throughout the building, from the scouts uh, to the medical people to the position coaches to the coordinator to the general manager or head coach. Uh, There's all sorts of talks and considerations uh, and input and insight, and the best leaders listens to all of it. Ultimately, that decision maker has to make the final call, and there has to be respect for all of that throughout the the building, or else you have complete chaos. Um, and and that that happens. Trust me, I've talked to some people uh, in the story that I'm writing about how that has happened in buildings that they work for. Uh, Mark Ross, uh, who works for um, uh, NFL Network, worked for the New York Giants, where it worked beautifully between Jerry Re- uh, Jerry Reese, the uh, the uh, general manager at the time. Uh, of the New York Giants and Tom Coughlin, who was, who was the head coach. Uh, Reese had ultimate final say, but it was also in conjunction with Tom Coughlin. But it was there was a clear decision decision making chain of command in Philadelphia at various points during uh, Mark's time in Philadelphia. That wasn't the case. It was uh, confusing, nebulous. Um, it wasn't clear necessarily who had final say. 
Uh, and a lot of people thought that they had the ear of, of ownership and, and uh, so you know their voices they felt was more important and it just created chaos. And it wasn't really until Andy Reid or during Andy Reid's tenure there uh, that he was able to be that guy uh, in the Philadelphia uh, building. But as you've seen with the Eagles right now, it seems like they've kind of reverted back to uh, old habits, bad habits. And so there's a little bit of dysfunction going on here in Las Vegas. Uh, John Gruden obviously has final say. That's it. He's the ultimate football authority in the Raiders building. But like all good leaders, he's going to listen and he's going to hear you know uh, what what everybody in the building has to say. Uh, you that's why you know people are in their particular jobs. That's the expertise that they bring. That's the function um, that they perform. And it all gets funneled through in a process to to lead the team and the Raiders to a decision. John Gruden ultimately makes that decision. But Gus Bradley, the new Raiders defensive coach, uh, has a huge say on what's going on on the defensive side of the ball in terms of personnel, in terms of who to go draft, in terms of who to put faith in, in terms of who to kick to the curb, uh, all of those things. Why? Because he's very good at what he does. He's got a strong track record in what he does. I believe he's got the ear of John Gruden, no question about it. John Gruden, if you go all the way back to when he first started with the Raiders, I think if you would inject John Gruden uh, with some truth serum uh, you know, uh, and ask him, hey, back in 2018, who'd you want as your defensive coordinator when you took over the Raiders? I think he would have said Gus Bradley, period. Gus Bradley was working for the LA Chargers at the time, so he was unavailable. Uh, three years later, Gus Bradley's now the defensive coordinator. It's no secret, as soon as... Gus Bradley was obvious that Gus Bradley um, was not going to survive the purge in Los Angeles uh, when head coach Anthony Lynn got fired. Uh, and on top of that, when the Raiders defense was underperforming and Paul Gunther, uh, you know, John Gruden decided to, to go ahead and get rid of Paul Gunther. It's no secret that the Raiders immediately turned their attention uh, uh, to Gus Bradley. There were other people that they talked to, um, no question about it. But he was their preferred choice, going all the way back to 2018. So now here he is in 2021, and he has a big say in what's going on. And I think that we've seen that in free agency, the decisions that they made along the defensive line to beef it up, to create versatility, to create depth, uh, to be able to create a strong rotation uh, in order to, to be able to get through games and get through a season with as many good players as possible. They may not be you know, outside of Yannick and Gakwe on the new additions, they may not be, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, name players in every household across the United States, but they're capable, good, productive players. And as Mike Mayock talked about today, they feel much better uh, about the front se- uh, uh, defensive line. Uh, and as a result, the front seven altogether when you throw in those linebackers. And a lot of that is because of the influence that Gus Bradley uh, has brought and his input and his insight. And I really believe it's going to carry over into the draft. And obviously the Raiders have offensive needs and I believe that those will be addressed. We know in particular right tackle uh, is a major area of need. I'd be shocked if the Raiders don't pull the plug, pull the trigger on a right tackle, somebody that they believe can come in and start from day one. Yes, there are, are some in-house uh, candidates to fill that position. Mike Mayock talked uh, about a couple of those guys in particular today. But I think, ideally, they're going to find their right tackle in the draft. But maybe it comes at number 17. But Mike Mayock said something pretty interesting today. We're going to run you a whole clip of what Mike said about being at uh, number 17 in the first round, the position that they're in, do you stand pat? Do you trade back? Uh, what's what's kind of the plan? Well, um, he opened the door, interestingly to me, um, about a trade up. If there's a certain player that starts to fall, uh, do the Raiders have the boldness in them to, to, to say, you know what, we may have to give up some draft capital, but we see somebody that we really like falling right now, and we can't sit back and assume that he's going to fall all the way to number 17. Should we give up some draft capital to go further up in the draft to make sure that we get the guy that we want? And here's Mike Mayock talking about the overall position being at number 17 in the first round. But listen carefully when he starts talking about the potential of a trade up. I think the mindset has to be that 
depending on how you set it up in advance and then how the board starts to fall away. Obviously, the further you are away from number one, uh, the more multiplication and different numbers come into play. So uh, at 17, you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I think the, the board's going to fall a certain way. And how are we going to react? If, if it doesn't fall that way, is there a way to get out? Is there a way to go back? Okay, and and I think a lot of GMs around the league are making calls right now. Hey, you a willing partner? What do you think? Um, conversely, if you're sitting at 17 and a guy who you think is going to go, you know, eight to 10 or 12, somebody who you really like that fits who what you do starts to slide a little bit. You've got to be willing to say, are we willing to take the chance to to give up some draft capital to go get a specific guy? So to answer your question, Paul, and I've said this before, I think you got to be nimble. You got to be willing to go either way, and as the draft develops, make those decisions. That's Mike Mayock throwing out all sorts of various uh, combinations of moves, standing pat. If the board falls the way um, you kind of assume, trading back. Uh, if you feel like you can go get, um, you know, get your guy, um, you know, or the couple of guys that you have an eye on at number 17 a little bit further back and also collect some draft assets as a result of trading back or do you trade up? Do you give something of value to go move up if a player that you have an eye on that you really like that you didn't necessarily think uh, would be there at 9 or 10 or 11 start sliding into that area and you start getting into that uh, frame of mind of boy we really like this guy we really 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 like this guy he would solve a lot of problems uh, he'd come onto this team immediately, make it an immediate at, uh, impact, maybe even be kind of a, a game changer for us. He's sitting there now. He's kind of following a little bit. Uh, do we do we wait until 17 and hope that he falls to us? Or do we give up some draft capital to go get him and make sure that we get him? I'm not trying to read anything into what Mike Mayock was talking about or really who Mike Mayark was talking about, but I've got a sneaky suspicion that the player that he was referring to, or at least one of them, was a certain linebacker from a certain school in Pennsylvania that has the certain capacity and ability to be a game wrecker. Maybe, possibly, the only defensive player in this draft who has the highest probability and possibility of being the kind of game changer that this Raiders defense desperately needs. And this is where I go back to Gus Bradley. I think everybody in the building in Henderson understands. I was just talking to a former general manager today. Uh, And he was talking about, hey, the Raiders' problems haven't been offensively, at least last year. It wasn't offensively. They need this defense to turn it around. They need some of those young players that they, uh, um, you know, uh, committed resources to and money to, uh, whether it was draft picks or in Corey Littleton and Nick Wachowski's case, uh, money, capital, Damon Arnett, a first-round pick. Trayvon Mullen, a first-round pick. Clee Farrell, a first-round pick. Excuse me, Mullen was a second-round pick. Uh, Max Crosby in the fourth round. Jonathan Abrams in the first round. These guys need, obviously, need to take big step forwards. If they do, this defense just inherently is going to be much better if that happens, if those young players get better, if Corey Littleton gets it turned around, if Nick Kwiatkowski, you know, he could pretty much just stay pat and it's going to be fine. The younger guys that they have acquired over the last couple of years, the Damon Arnett's, the Clee Farrell's, the Max Crosby's, uh, you know, um, the, the, the Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen. If those guys get better, this defense is going to be inherently better to begin with. And part of that is going to be on each individual, but also the influence of Gus Bradley, how he utilizes them, how he fits them into their system, his system. His positional coaches that he brought with them, Richard Smith at linebacker coach, Ron Milas at the secondary coach. Obviously, uh, um, Rod Marinelli 
is was retained as the defensive line uh, coach. His track record speaks for itself. A combination of all of those people right there that we just named will take or make a big impact and have a big say in whether this defense gets better or not. But there's also a draft coming up, and it starts a week from today. And there's a player in that draft. His name is Micah Parsons. He plays at Penn, Penn State, and he is the one guy in this draft. Now, there will be many years down the line, a handful, however many. I don't know how many, but there's going to be players, let's just say 10 defensive players from this draft that years down the line, uh, whether they were picked in the first round, the second round, free agents, whatever the case might be, that you look back and say, wow, impact players, those were the, the, that, the strength of the defensive draft were those 10 players. You know, We'll figure that out years down the line. It's all a risk. It's all, uh, you know, you're taking a big chance. You don't know sometimes how guys are going to translate to the NFL. You could do all the studies, all the tests, watch all the film, all the agility, agility tests. How much do they squat? How much do they bench press? How fast is their 40, their three-cone their three shuttle? All of those things are going to get taken into account. Their film, obviously, what their coach says about them, what their uh, the, 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 the uh, cook in the cafeteria, the equipment manager, uh, the, 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 the intern in the, in the, in the uh, SID's office, the SID himself or herself, all of that's going to be taken into account, and all of it's going to play a role in whether you uh, feel comfortable enough uh, in drafting a player, regardless of the position of the draft, so there's all of that is is going to get taken into account. It, it won't be until they actually get on the field for you know the next few years uh, whether or not you know uh, your investment was worthwhile, whether your instincts were true uh, or accurate. So there's always going to be chance. We know that. We understand that. Ten years down the line, we're going to figure out who hit, who missed. What the who the surprises were, who the studs were, who the um, you know busts were, all of that. Who the who the overachievers became, who the underachievers were. All of that's going to determine itself over the next few years. But there's one guy in this draft, Micah Parsons from Penn State. When you put on the film and you start thinking about this Raiders defense, and you start thinking about what the Raiders defense needs. You start thinking about what's lacking on the Raiders' defense, even if all the guys that I just mentioned take a dramatic step forward, which is very much in the realm of possibility. It's definitely within the realm of possibility that Damon Arnett, when healthy, and now after spending the calendar year as an NFL player, being able to devote all of his time, all of his attention this offseason, finally being healthy, uh, you know, coming off the injury, the hand, the wrist injury in college, his senior year, the uh, wrist injury that he suffered last year during the season, had surgery to correct it, is away from that injury, has you know distanced himself from that injury and that surgery. He's busy working out in the weight room, getting his conditioning in. There's every reason to think that Damon Arnett, who the Raiders drafted in the first round last year, can be a good, solid player for them. Same with Trayvon Mullen, same with Cleve Farrell, same with Max Crosby, same with Corey Littleton, same with Nick Wachowski and Jonathan Abram. They all have the talent to be good players. But even if all of those players reach their ceilings, none of them necessarily has that game-changing ability. They can all be capable, good, productive players on a down-in and down-out championship caliber defense they absolutely can but even but a championship caliber defense also needs the element of a game changer somebody that's going to alter the course of a game consistently and sometimes that's just coming out of nowhere uh, to make a, a tackle on the sideline that that drops a guy three yards short of the first down when it looked to everybody in the stadium and at home watching on TV like he was going to get that first down, the chains were going to move, the offense was going to get a new set of downs, and the Raiders offense or whatever team that that player plays for was going to have to stay on the sideline for another two or three critical minutes. The guy that's going to get his hand on the ball, the guy that's going to tip it at the line of scrimmage, the guy that's going to get a strip sack, the guy that's going to get an interception, 
There's players that just have that knack, have that ability. They're just too good, too fast, too strong, too talented. And we've seen it so many times in the history of sports that they just stand out a little bit more. And they become the anchor. They become the player that teams build around. You could put a bunch of good players around a really, really good player. That's what used to always happen. I always bring up my favorite player of all time, uh, Lawrence Taylor from the New York Giants. My dad was a huge New York Giants fan. The Giants were loaded with good defensive players. But individually, if you put them on any other team, most of those players, they were you know good, good players. They weren't necessarily game changers. Lawrence Taylor was. And Lawrence Taylor, his presence as a game changer, as a just flat-out, holy cow, this guy, every single game is going to give you five plays that just your jaw drops, and they make a difference. A guy like that, surrounded by a bunch of other good players, all of a sudden, that's when a defense becomes really good. And we all know with the Raiders' offense, this defense doesn't need to be historically good. It just needs to be pretty good at this point. The Raiders would take pretty good at this point, but a guy like Micah Parsons, he's good enough that if you put him around other good players or surround him with good players... He has a chance to make a defense like a special kind of a defense. And so the question becomes, if you're the Raiders, and the Raiders have been tied into Micah Parsons now for more than a little bit, it just always seems to the connection, you just keep hearing it and seeing it and thinking about it and just people around the league kind of kind of hint, hint. Is that who Mike Mayock was talking about? It I wouldn't rule it out at all. And in fact... I would advocate it for it. I would say, yes, that's the guy that you guys, if he starts falling, you guys need to give up. I don't care if it's next year's first round pick. I don't care. Go make that trade. Go get Micah Parsons. He's a guy that five years down the line, he has the best chance of all, I think, in this draft of being a star defensively. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Give us your call, 702-365-9200. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. I'm excited about both of them. Um, I don't think there's any question in our building how talented they both are. Henry's got to get stronger. Damon's got to get stronger. They're both spending an awful lot of time this offseason, both with the strength and also the conditioning aspects. Um, I, I'm, in my mind, we're going to see different guys. And, and I made a comment a couple of months ago about rugs and about that whole class last year needing to step it up this year. And I, I still believe that. And, and from Ruggs' perspective, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. We kind of we knew exactly what he was. And that's who he is. We, we had no surprises last year in rugs. Now he needs to take it to the level two now, the next level up. Stronger, better route runner, finish, get both feet down, all those things, and we think he will. Same thing with Arnett, up and down year, injured, COVID, all kinds of different issues. We need consistency and effort, and, and I'm a big believer in both those kids. I'm really excited to see him play this year. That is Raiders general manager Mike Mayock speaking today to the media from uh, Raiders headquarters in uh, Henderson, Nevada. And he was talking about Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs. Uh, I'd asked him uh, about their progress, about their status report. Uh, I had talked to Mike Mayock um, in January at the Senior Bowl uh, about both players. Kind of some of it got a little taken out of context. Um, You know, uh, a lot of fans kind of thought that uh, he was down on those players or criticizing those players. Um, I, I don't know. I think we just live in a very, very soft society. No, he was literally saying, like, which is just common sense, yeah, they need to, the, this is what happened in year one. Now they have to go from point, uh, you know, uh, B to C. That's the next step. And then after that, it's the next step after that. And, like, I don't get how fans don't comprehend or understand there's a development side to this, and it's always ongoing. It's not criticism. It's just the reality of the situation. Uh, And Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett both have the ability uh, and the work ethic. I I know I've been tracking those guys this offseason. 
uh, to get it done. And are there specific things that they need to work on? Obviously, everybody does. I mean, what do you think? Derek Carr sits around every offseason and just kind of, you know, uh, goes bowling? He's out there practicing. He's out there getting better. Magic Johnson, when I was with the Lakers, every single year had a new layer to his game. You think he started his career being a pretty good three-point shooter? No, he worked his way into that. Every single season. Kobe Bryant, you think Kobe Bryant was was you know jet skiing all offseason? Every single year he would come in with something new, new layer to his game. Left hand, going to his left. Long range shooting, getting to the basket, uh, you know, uh, posting up. It was always an ongoing process. That's not a criticism. That's the reality of the situation. And I do believe that Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett have a chance to play pretty good football next year and football that makes an impact. And especially Henry Ruggs in this offense. Uh, talked to Q Myers uh, yesterday about the, the, the possible, or excuse me, uh, Mike Pritchard yesterday about the possibility of him being a real compliment uh, to Darren uh, Waller, uh, much like uh, the Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill relationship uh, in Kansas city. Obviously it's going to take a little while for, for, for uh, Henry to get to Tyreek's level if he ever gets there. But there is some comp there. There is, you can absolutely envision that type of a teamwork between a big tight end and a playmaker, speedy, fast, explosive playmaker uh, like Henry Ruggs, much like Kelsey and uh, uh, Tyreek Hill. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, without further ado, we'd like to bring in our good friend, Evan Grote. He contributes for Silver and Black today. He's also the uh, host of Just Pod Baby. You can follow him at egrote5. Evan, you heard uh, Mike Mayock today. You just heard the uh, the comments that he had about Henry Ruggs uh, and Damon Arnett. I, I know we live in a very impatient society. I know everyone expects every first-round pick to be an all-pro player uh, year one, and there's no room for any development whatsoever. Can't have that. Um, but that is the case the majority of the time. Uh, what are your thoughts on hearing Mike Mack and specifically, specifically what he said about Damon Arnett uh, and Henry Ruggs? Yeah, hey, Vinny, how you doing? Uh, you know, and I'm glad you asked that question because uh, for me, that has been one of the more intriguing uh, discussions of last year is, is with the usage of, of Henry Ruggs and, and the lack of production from Henry Ruggs, uh, at least from my point of view. Um, you know, I, 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 and i got to admit, I'm, I'm guilty of, of one of those uh, fans who maybe uh, um, not showing enough patience um, you know, I understand players need time to develop, and, 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 you know, I'm also aware that I wasn't expecting an all-pro wide receiver uh, last year from Henry Ruggs. But um, the, the concern that I have is not so much about the player, and I don't want to beat up on the, the play caller too much, but um, I would have liked to see Ruggs be involved a little bit more. Um, you talked about Tyreek Hill, and you, you were making the comparison that hopefully eventually uh, Ruggs can, can get to his level. Uh, but when I watched... Andy Reid designed plays for Tyreek Hill, and we all think about the deep speed that Tyreek Hill possesses, but they use him in, in so many other ways uh, as a running back uh, with, with short little pitches and reverses, and we did see that from time to time uh, with Henry Ruggs last year, but what I would want to see this year from, from Gruden and, and Ruggs is utilize him more in the short to intermediate passing game. Um, screens, slants, um, it doesn't have to be a, a, a deep route or a goal route every time. And I understand that's, that's maybe, maybe what his strength is, but we know from his, his time at Alabama that he is so much more than that. So that's the first thing I will say about Henry Ruggs. And, and, and although I was disappointed by his rookie season, um, I know the type of, uh, because of what I've heard from college coaches and people who have worked with him, Nick Saban, he's a tireless worker. And you know that he's going to put in the time and, and the work to uh, to improve. And he's well aware uh, of the the season that he had. And I think he wants to prove everyone wrong. He knows that he was the top pick in last year's draft class, and maybe didn't have a as good of a season as some of those other wideouts in the draft class. So I do expect him uh, to make huge gains next year. Now, when it comes to Damon Arnett, again, the one the one issue that I have with Arnett is that. I feel that he probably maybe could have been had a little bit later in the draft. They they used the first round pick on him. We don't know if a trade opportunity was there, but they went out and made him the pick anyways. And you know there were some issues 
uh, with him, I believe, in college with maybe some maturity issues. And, and I do think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there were some injury concerns there as well. He dealt with some injuries from his time at Ohio State. And, and then he comes into the league and kind of has some of those same issues here. So I have a little bit more concern with Arnett uh, that I do um, with, with Ruggs. But from everything we heard from, from Mayock today, it sounds like both those guys got the message and are, and are taking it very seriously. Yeah, and I, I don't think it was, again, I don't believe that it was like some message that needed to be sent. I don't think he ever, I, in talking to Mike Mayock, it, it, it didn't sound like he was using me to send a message. I think it was just the normal discourse uh, and just the same exact thing that he has with every single player. When you have your exit interviews, um, you know, whether, again, and I've been in professional sports for a long time, whether it's Kobe Bryant or Lamar Odom or, uh, you know, Brandon Ingram or whoever the case might be, you always have a plan of attack on the last day of the, that season. You meet with your coaches. You meet with your general manager. Here's a plan of attack for this offseason. This is how much we want to see you weigh. This is what we want to see you work on. This is what we want to see you eliminate. It's just the, the normal. I think it's just because things get said now and put on Twitter now. Uh, and written about now more than it ever has in the past. And people take that as criticism or, you know, they're down on this guy, they're down on that guy. No. Do you ever have a job review? What do you think? It's perfect every time you have a job review? Of course not. One of the things about a job review is to figure out, okay, what are the weaknesses um, or the, the, the areas that need some improving? Let's focus on that. We already know you can do this, this, and this. Let's focus on uh, some of the things that we feel you can do a little bit better. Um, and, you know, where David Arnett was drafted, where Clee Farrell was drafted, to me it's such a moot point at this point. I don't even care anymore uh, at this point whether that guy could have been drafted or trade back or anything like that of that nature. It doesn't matter anymore. It's where are you as a player, where do you need to be as a player, and can you get there as a player? And I think that that's where I think that Henry Ruggs can definitely get there. And I think that David Arnett, I'm not saying that he's going to be a star player, but I think that he has – uh, a ceiling, and I think that get him on the field and get him developed, and and he can he can take it from there. Um, another question that I had for you, uh, Evan, was earlier in the show we played the clip of of Mike talking about the possibility of trading up. Um, I really haven't heard him talk about the trade up scenario that specifically uh, since I've been covering the Raiders. I know it's always an option. Obviously, it's an option. But reading between the lines, you think that in his mind, somewhere tucked away in the brain. There is a player that they have their eye on, and if that player starts falling, they'd be interested in trading up for it. Yeah, you know, it, it's a possibility, but it's really hard to, to gain too much insight from these press conferences because they're all keeping it so you know tight to the vest. Um, but I, I do think you, you make a very good point, and I, I heard what you were saying there. You know, one thing I will say, we have such a very small sample size with only two drafts under his belt for Mayock. We just haven't seen that from Mayock. We had, whether that was Trading back, uh, and you mentioned Clee Farrell. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought that was a spot maybe they could have traded back to get him. Damon Arnett, mm-hmm. I mentioned, and we haven't seen him really trade up in round one at least. I know they've they've made some moves in, in, in the later rounds of the draft, but we just have not seen that from them uh, in, in round one of the draft. So it's it's you know without reading too much into his comments, uh, it, it is kind of hard to form an opinion. Uh, because we just don't have the track record. But I am completely on board with, with your idea and with your logic that, you know, once you get outside the top ten picks, um, you know, and you start to see a guy like Mike Parsons, who, who you're very high on, and I agree. I, I think he's a difference maker, and he's a guy that, you know, if you see him starting to fall outside the top ten, you have to at least start kicking the tires on the idea of, of going up to get him if they truly like him that much. And the Raiders, you know, they're picking at 17, which is middle of the draft, but in this year in particular, they're in a pretty good position where they could really take advantage of all the quarterbacks that are expected to go, all the wide receivers in the offensive linemen that are expected to be selected in, you know, in the top, top 10 to 12 picks of the draft. And, and, and then you know, you're sitting there at 17 and you've got a player that you really, really like who's falling you could slide up a couple spots and, and, and go and get them. That you know pushes a lot of good players down the board. So as Mayak said, you got to be nimble, and, and I hope that's what they do this year in, in round one. All right, are you willing to trade next year's number one if it means trading up to number ten to get uh, yeah, that, a Michael? I, that's Parsons. a good question. That, that's a good question um, because <laughs> I've always been in the camp that 
these draft picks are valuable. I would always prefer to uh, trade down and pick up more. But what I'm going to say here, and it's not a knock, it's not a knock, and we still have a couple more years to see how these most recent draft classes play out, but I'm not 100% sold on the five first-round draft picks that they've had in the, in the past two years. Yes, Cleve Farrell, serviceable player. It's not his fault where he was drafted. He was drafted at slot four. You know, I'm not going to get into whether or not he's fully living up to a top-five pick. That's where he was picked. He's been a very good player for the Raiders. And then you look at Josh Jacobs, who I think is also very good. Jonathan Abram, I think the jury is still very much out on him. And then last year's uh, two first-round picks, which we've already discussed, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett, obviously they still need a couple more years to fully get a, a true evaluation. But uh, I can honestly say right now they haven't hit any real home runs with those five number-one picks. So that being said, you know what? I, I feel comfortable giving up a first-round pick if they can go up and get a guy who I feel is a can't-miss prospect, like a guy like Micah Parsons, who can come in from day one and be an immediate impact player on that defense, uh, an alpha male, as you've been saying, a guy who opposing offensive coordinators have to account for. They have to know where he is at all times, and he can really uh, take a, a, a below-average defense and get you up to respectability, and you, you can continue to add some players around him that's how you build a, you know, a, a strong defense. We're talking to Evan Grote. Uh, he contributes for Silver and Black today. He's also the host of Just Pod Baby. Uh, you could follow him at egrote5. Uh, and let me present this to you as well. If you're Mike Mayock uh, or you're just Evan Grote and you, you run into Gus Bradley on the street and Gus Bradley says, man, we need to, the Raiders need to, you know, uh, if you're if 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 you're Mike Mayock and and Gus says we need to trade up to go get this guy, we cannot leave this first round without this guy. This is the guy that everyone's going to be talking about five years from now. How much of a difference does his voice make in that? I mean, we mentioned the other first round picks, um, but he wasn't there uh, during you know uh, uh, when when those picks were made. Um, does that count for anything in your mind? If if he is pounding the table for Micah Parsons. Yeah, I, I think what we've seen here, um, you know, early in his, his since he's arrived, is that he does have a lot more uh, of a say. I think in the defense and maybe what we saw from Paul Gunther, and I think it's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, I think John Gruden is a great offensive play caller, um, but I think I think he would serve himself well by by giving up some of the reins. I think in, in some of the other areas of the game, and I, I think as you alluded to earlier in your show we are starting to see that with a guy like Gus Bradley, who he really trusts. And, and I think some of the moves that we've seen, some of the defensive tackles that were brought in, and you saw how they let go of uh, Maurice Hurst and Arden Key, uh, you're seeing his influence on this defense. So I think there is a level of trust there between Gruden and Bradley. And if Bradley is standing there pounding the table saying, I got to have this guy, these are the type of players that I need and I want, then I think that will, that will carry a lot of weight in that, in that war room. All right, let's assume they stay pat at number 17. Let's, let's follow that scenario. Um, Darisaw is there from Virginia Tech. Tevin Jenkins is there from Oklahoma State. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromara is there from Notre Dame. Where, what direction are you going, Evan? Wow, that's, uh, that's tough because uh, Joe out of Notre Dame was a guy who, when this whole process started, once, once bowl season uh, you know, actually, mid bowl season, I, I was I was in love with that guy. I, I I love linebackers that that are in that hybrid breed, like he is, like an Isaiah Simmons was a couple years ago out of Clemson. I, I love those type of players. I think they're so versatile and they can do so much. You know, so many great things for your defense. And and you know, I I, I can't think of the last time the Raiders had a player that could do those types of things. And, and, and so I would love to see that type of player in, the, in that defense. But I do understand the need that is at right tackle. Um, I would prefer a trade back <laughs> if, if possible. Um, but I would say in that scenario there, you're going to have to go with the right tackle um, because there is such a big void there right now still. I mean, um, there's some question marks along the offensive line at center. I know they're high on Andre James, but right tackle is another one of those spots. And, and right now, um, you know, it looks like Brandon Parker, and outside of Brandon Parker, 
you know, I don't know who else they have right now. Maybe Denzel Good to slide over should they ever want to do that. But I think you have to address that position. And I think what we've seen throughout Derek Carr's career, much like many quarterbacks in this league, is that you know he's, he's most successful when he's got time to throw. Uh, the difference is, you know, some quarterbacks handle uh, the pressure better than others. And I, I think Derek Carr is one of those guys who, when he's comfortable in the pocket and he, he trusts his protection, you know, he can be very good. So uh, I do think they need to address that offensive line need uh, pretty early on in the draft. Um, okay, so give me four players. In a trade-back scenario, four players have to be um, – or, or one of four players has you have to have confidence that one of these four players has to be there in a trade down scenario, uh, so that you get at least one of the four guys that you really really believe in. Um, give me the four guys uh, if that you're willing to trade back for, and at least have in order to at least have the ability to get one of those four players. Yeah, I, I think if I think if um, because of the depth at the position, right tackle. I think there's a very good chance that they could trade down from 17 and still pick up. You know, I'm not quite sure how far down, but let's say a few spots down to, to maybe the early 20s. I think they could still pick up a guy like Tevin, Tevin Jenkins, the right tackle out of Oklahoma State, so I'd feel comfortable with him there. Um, I think if they could even add another pass rusher. Um, I know they, they brought in Ngakawe, uh, but I would not mind seeing a guy like uh, the kid out of Michigan. Could he pay? Should he fall? Or even been uh, one of the kids out of Miami, Rousseau or uh, Jalen Phillips. Those are guys who I would feel comfortable um, in a trade-back scenario. Uh, Aziz Ojolari, and I know that some of these guys maybe won't fall that late, but if that starts to happen and you can trade back and still pick up one of those guys, I feel perfectly comfortable with that. Maybe even a Christian Barmore out of Alabama. And I know they've got a lot of uh, defensive tackles on that offensive line, or a uh, defensive line, excuse me, uh, but I think I think Barrymore brings a little bit something different. He's, a, he's very good with the pass rush, and I, I still think that the interior part of that defensive line needs something like that. So those are a few guys that I think would all be uh, – I would love to see in a, in a trade-back scenario. Well, Evan, we really appreciate uh, the time uh, and the insight. Uh, always do. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Uh, I'm sure we'll circle back to you uh, either right before the draft or after the draft to get your thoughts. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. And if I don't speak to you before the draft, then enjoy it, Vinny. All right. I appreciate that. That's Evan Grote uh, from Just Blog Baby. Uh, always enjoy talking to him. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Multitasking, multitasking, multitasking. Always. That's what I do. My day job is covering the writers for the Las Vegas Review Journal. My uh, later on in the day job is hosting In the Huddle, Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. A lot of things happening. Um, and, you know, right now, obviously, uh, the Raiders have a draft that's uh, rapidly approaching. They need to hit some home runs here, period, exclamation point. Um you know that has they've they've had uh, a, a few good doubles off the wall uh, over the last few years, um, but they need to uh, really have some of these guys uh, advance their careers, just get better. We've talked about it, Damon Arnett. We've talked about it. Um, you know Trayvon Mullen and Jonathan Abram and Clee Farrell and Max Crosby. Uh, Corey Littleton needs to get better um, or return to what he was and be the player that he's capable of being. Um, so, you know, you need, you need to, you need to, that needs to happen, you know, for thus far, it's been a few more misses than hits and a bunch of still to, to be determined. Uh, I, I've been around too long to sit, to, to, to be in a rush to pass judgment. I can't pass real judgment on last year's, uh, uh, 
draft class. I just can't. It's too early in the game for them. And I've never experienced, let alone experiencing the kind of offseason that we had last year and the kind of season that we had playing in a uh, worldwide pandemic. And if you go back to uh, the 2008 or 2019 draft, I mean, Henry Ruggs, Josh Jacobs, Clee Farrell has been a solid football player. Uh, Trayvon Mullen has been a starter and, and it continues to get better. Uh, those were, those were you know, it, it was good, strong drafts, but none of them are the home run hit, home runs that you, that you need sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, to see where it all goes and whether or not the Raiders come out of this draft with a home run. A home run, those, again, they, they, they happen, but they're, it's, they're, they're fewer than, than you think, especially very, very early on in careers. And I do think that it's incumbent that the Raiders get out of this draft, ideally, I should say. Um, obviously, you want good, dependable, good, productive football players that you're going to be able to count on for the next X amount of years. But it sure would help if they could get a difference maker. And that's why we're talking about the possibility of trading up to ensure that you get a guy that's capable of doing that. There's no guarantee that Micah Parsons is going to be able to do that. But when you watch the film, he's the one guy in this draft that just jumps so far off the screen that you're like, okay, this guy with those attributes, with those skills, with that ability, with that explosiveness, with that speed, with that toughness, with that intelligence, because he does play as a smart player, with that ability to go get the quarterback, with that ability to go chase down running backs, he's got a real chance to be a very good player. When we uh, Going out to the Raider Nation listen line, Danny is on the line. He wants to talk about uh, the Raiders. How are you doing, Danny? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted to make a quick point. Well, not really much quick. Um, why uh, I think that the Raiders would not draft Mika Parsons, even if he did fall to 17. And uh, don't get me wrong, though, if, if I was a GM, I would definitely draft the guy. But, but you know, just knowing from what knowing from what the Raiders have done in previous drafts and things like that, and kind of just with hearing Mike Mayak over the years, um, I think that they wouldn't uh, draft them for for these uh, for these these couple of reasons. Um, one of them is also that you've heard, I know, I'm pretty sure you've heard about some character issues. Yep. That uh-huh. he had, you know, allegations. I mean, we don't know what's true, what's not, but I mean, I think they probably, they probably have a better grip on what's going on. And the fact that he might be falling in some of these mock drafts, things like that, maybe makes you believe that it might be true. But but, but more more toward the draft, the reason um, this uh, this particular draft is pretty deep on offensive tackles, so I feel like you might get one a pretty a starter in the second round, and it's also pretty uh, decent with uh, safeties. So I feel like you could probably get a starter maybe even in the third round, even if you have to trade both your third rounders to get up to higher a higher third round or something like that to get that safety. But well, the one position in this in this uh, draft, and Evan there from Evan kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but is uh, the position that is very light or very thin in this draft is uh, defensive tackle. And I know we got a lot of defensive tackles now, but there are a lot of them are on one year prove it deals. And if you and as you saw from last year with Collins, you know that doesn't mean anything. You know you can have all these defensive tackles, but doesn't mean they're going to pan out. So I wouldn't be surprised if, even if Mika was there. I'm also because of, I'm pretty sure the Raiders feel pretty confident in their quarterback room right now. Littleton, Kwiatkowski coming back. Um, they just signed Murrow and also uh, Muse. You know, I'm not too. So I'm not sold on Muse, but I'm pretty sure uh, Mayock and Gruden probably are. So I feel yeah, like, I, I feel like no, I, 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 yeah. Uh, thank you for the call. I really appreciate it, and I. I I agree with you. That linebacker room um, is, is is fairly set. However, a uh, couple of things. Uh, like even in Nicholas Morrow, Morrow's case, he's on a one-year deal. And as far as that defensive line, I agree with you there. Uh, but a lot of those guys are on one-year deals. So uh, I think the Raiders in this draft are um, – you know, probably going to address some of those positions because a lot of these guys, you know, are just on these one-year deals. And even in the linebacker case, we've mentioned Nicholas Morrow being on a one-year contract, but there's also uh, the ability to get out 
um, with Nick Wachowski and even Corey Littleton. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that is a possibility. And I say that to say this in regards to the linebacker position, uh, whether it's Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski, uh, or Nicholas Morrow, none of those three players, to me anyway, should stand in the way. Their presence on this roster should not stand in the way of, of not you know, drafting a guy with the ability of a Micah Parsons. I understand, um, you know, the, the, the questions about him, uh, the maturity uh, issues that have been around him. It's why he's potentially going to fall to a point in the draft where the Raiders may even be able to get him at number 17 or might be, um, you, you know, uh, motivated to trade up a few spots from 17 to 12 or 11 or 10 to go get him. There are some concerns about his maturity. But you have to determine, if you're the Raiders, whether those are yellow flags that are some cautionary, you know, got to keep an eye on this, but they're manageable. And we have the infrastructure in place. If you're the Raiders, you're thinking we have the infrastructure in place uh, to, to, to manage those yellow flags and to get this player on a better track and we believe that with what we have in place, we're going to be able to, to turn those yellow uh, flags into zero flags. He's, we believe that it's just some maturity issues that can be managed and mitigated and overcome. On the other hand, if those are blazing red flags, and obviously you got to stay away from a guy like that. Uh, if, they're, if, if what his issues... And we don't have all the information. We don't, we're not privy to all the information, so we're working at a distinct disadvantage right now. We don't know, um, you know what, those, what those concerns might be or how um, you know, prevalent those concerns might be. If they're yellow flags, it might be something that you can overcome. Um, if it's real big red flags, then obviously uh, you, you, know, you, ha- you have to be aware of it. But I just there's just too much of a connection between the Raiders and... Uh, Michael Parsons, and it's and it seems to be growing by the day. Uh, and if it's true, and if it's accurate, then you're looking at a situation where the Raiders feel like this guy, with whatever's going on around him, they're 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 okay with their ability to manage whatever's going on around him. They've ruled out that um, you know any of those cautionary flags uh, as a real detriment or impediment in terms of trading for him. So we'll see. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahamut.